0: Hey, we are at week five in our series on called to be saints. And each week we've been pondering this call to Christian maturity. We've been looking at the words we think of justification, but also sanctification. And at the very beginning of the series, we um, took a deeper dive into that little phrase, in Christ. We remember that we are not merely followers of Christ, not merely imitators of Christ, not merely co-workers of Christ, but we are one with Christ, and that we are members of his body, we are one and living this life, this Christian life, in Christ. And today we're looking at one more dimension of this holy life. The topic is love. A holy person loves others in a manner that is consistent with how God has loved us. If you have been around Sunday school as a child, if you have been in church even one or two or three weeks, I hope that you've heard that already because that's a key to which we must return on a regular basis. And we know that if you were with us in the month of August, we feasted on a sermon series that helped us to explore First Corinthians chapter 13, what is often called that great love chapter. All you need is love. That was the name of the series. And now here we are eight weeks later. We're returning back to this theme. It's good. It's fitting for us to do this because we understand that this is a part of us being called to be saints. Scriptures could not be more clear. You know that, that we are called to love God and love our neighbor. The most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. And then as Jesus was coming to the end point of his ministry, he insisted that his disciples must love one another. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's the mark of being a true disciple. Gordon Smith writes in his book, and we've been referring to it through this series, we cannot speak of transformation into the image of Christ without embracing the call to love one another. To be mature in Christ is to be a person who loves our neighbor, the other. Whatever great things we might want to do, even if it's wanting to do great things for God, they're empty if they're without love. So writes Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. But the title of the message that I wanted to give you today is not just love, but it's learning to love. In the test tube of life, we get to practice kindness and compassion. Maybe we should say this can we admit it? We are clumsy at love. It's okay. It's okay for us to admit that because every day we have a new place to learn how to love. Maybe we learn it with a difficult family member. None of those in your family, I know, but maybe other families might have that. Um, Maybe it's a disagreeable work colleague. Or yes, it can even be with a difficult person in the church. God will bring you in touch with someone with whom you do not see eye to eye. And then God will help you to love more. Can we admit that we are still learning to love? And will you join me in this passionate pursuit of saying, I do not love as I yet ought to love, but I long to be transformed by Christ's love, and I will not settle for anything less Gordon Smith writes again, Indeed, we know from 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, all of our learning, our worship, and our witness to the world are all empty. He continues, This call to love comes easily to no one. No one is naturally a loving person. We don't learn love in a classroom by reading a book And it's not completely learning about love just by hearing a sermon. We learn it in the encounters that we have with other people around us that fill our lives each day. Christian love is not a sentimental ideal, but Rowan Williams said, love is something that is painfully learned. So now let's think about the book of Romans. Before we get to chapter 12, I want to walk with you just through some of the thoughts as we get to chapter 12. In chapter 1, Paul writes at the very beginning, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. God's love for the church and God's love for you and me is the basis of our identity. So when people ask you, who are you? I hope that your first answer might be this, just as Paul's basic description is this. Who are you? I am loved by God, and I am called to be his holy people. By the way, I am not called because I am a saint. I am a saint because I am called. So it starts out right at the beginning, Romans chapter 1. Basic identity of a Christian, loved by God and called to be saints. Then we get to chapter 5. We look again at this word love. Romans chapter 5, Paul speaks of love again. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This verse shows us that we are loved already, even at our worst. And the death of Christ is the proof of God's love for us. Then we get to Romans chapter 8. Paul is speaking again about love. Paul writes in verse 38, chapter 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has this conviction. Absolutely nothing gets between us and God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Paul is overwhelmed by the enduring power of God's love. And Gordon Smith writes, Our first calling is to dwell in the love of God. And learning to live in this love is the work of a lifetime. A lifetime. I was reading about this motivational speaker, uh, Jim Rohn. He said, we are the average. We are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. His big idea is this, is when it comes to relationships, we are greatly influenced by those five people around us, whether we like it or not. Now, you know what? He was such a popular speaker at the time when he said that. There were other social scientists come along trying to analyze whether it was true or not, and others were disputing his research, saying, wait a minute, it's more than that. Maybe it's 10 people or 15 people or 25 people. But I, I think that you and I can be persuaded of this one idea, is that we are shaped by the people around us. Would you agree with me on that? Other people around us are constantly having an impact on us and shaping who we are. If you agree with that, then the way that we learn to love is to become most intimate with the one whose name is love. Our first calling is to dwell in the love of God. So now up to this point, before we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, in the book of Romans, we only read of God's love for us. So all of those chapters, we just keep reading God's love for us. God's love for us. God's love is poured out into your life. God's proof is Christ's death. That is his proof of his love for you. And then we get to verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9. And Paul writes, love must be sincere. It's the first time he writes of our response of love and our part of loving one another. Paul takes his time to get to this point because he knows that we love only because he first loved us. You know, there's a kind of love that's not really love. It's this kind of love. Have you ever heard of this? I love you for what you will give to me. I love you because of what you are going to do for me. And maybe it's a temptation, isn't it? Um, And it's a kind of relationship that's not really real. Perhaps it's a way that our love begins, maybe maybe it's a beginning of how a child might start learning how to love, maybe. But as we mature, you know that we are called to something deeper. Paul urges the church that their love must be genuine, grounded in God's love, the real deal, no counterfeit. So anything, I'm convinced of this, anything that is precious has the danger of being counterfeited. This year in April, the RCMP made one of the largest seizures of counterfeit currency in more than 20 years in Canada. One million dollars in phony $100 bills. They called it novelty money. But here's the deal. Everything that is precious has the danger of being imitated. And it's not just money, it's not just diamonds, but it's also love that is such a precious commodity. John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, he wrote this idea. He said, it is difficult to express how ingenious people are at counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves, while they persuade themselves that they have a true love for those whom they not only neglect, but in fact reject. So how can our love be genuine? Well, here are a few thoughts. To love someone is to offer your care for someone who you think doesn't deserve it. That's genuine love. If we think that our neighbor is a sinner, and they don't deserve God's love, then we remember that Christ died for sinners. Loving people well, even loving people who are different than us, is the defining characteristic of a mature Christian. Desmond Tutu once said, Our maturity will be judged by how able we are to disagree, and yet continue to love one another to care for one another and to cherish one another and to see the greater good in another. And to love someone is to be so committed to them that we long for and we work for their growth into becoming a saint. Isn't that it? It's not just saying, well, I'm going to work really hard to become a saint myself. But to love another person is to say, Hey, let me help you, too. Can I encourage you also on this journey to sainthood? So to love one another is not this idea of sentimentalism, or just feel good, or even just being nice, because we don't give people always what they want, but we want to press them on and to encourage them in this pursuit of holiness. Love has a direction. Gordon Smith affirms, we teach love by teaching law. So in Romans 13, we read, love is the fulfillment of the law. The Ten Commandments, it's a basic guide to the Christian life. And yet, what governs all of our thinking, really, on a higher level, is love than that law. But as we obey that law, then we are learning to love and we are growing in that love. Now to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. There's a series of staccato statements reminding us of what real love is. Uh, Some scholars, as they analyze this passage, they say, it's not so much a series of commands It's more like 1 Corinthians 13. Instead of saying, you have to love genuinely, it's love is something that is genuine. It's it's describing what love is, how we live this life in Christ. And let me suggest a framework for thinking about what love is by highlighting three characteristics in this passage that we read in Romans 12. Um, It's three things that I want to cover now. Radical hospitality, patience and forgiveness, and generous service. So as we think of love, we're going to use those three phrases just to guide us through and as we walk through these verses in chapter 12. In Romans 12, 13, we read these words, practice hospitality. Practice it. Start doing it. It's not, well, am I a hospitable person? But start practicing it in your life. What does hospitality mean? It means to welcome the other and to receive the other. It's not just something we do as we open up our home and have somebody over for a meal, although that certainly is a part of it. We drive our cars and we can be hospitable to other drivers as we drive safely on the roads. We use the earth's resources we can be hospitable to those not yet born as we care for the earth that God has given to us. We welcome people here in our church service, praying that you might be welcomed, just as we have been to. And then we deliver hospitality to others. Some people we deliver hospitality to who cannot come to us because of restrictions in their life. Hospitality is offered to people who are dear to us and to those who are strangers And whether you've been a part of our church 10 years or two weeks, we hope you experience a welcome here. Romans 15 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Five years ago, there was a woman, and I'll name her Lynette. She walked into our church building. She was lonely. She carried a heavy burden of disappointment, frustration, and yes, anger. And when she came to our church, she received some food and a listening ear. She happened to come in five years ago on a, on a Wednesday at, at noontime. It's the same time that our third wave, our seniors group, meets here at the church. I was able to meet her at the door and just talk with her for a little bit. And then I introduced her to some other friends In the ministry, but something powerful happened when I introduced her to a few others. For the next few weeks and then months, Lynette kept coming back to third wave. For this younger woman, this seniors' group was the most exciting group in the whole church. It was here that she was welcomed. Our friend, she's moved away. She's no longer with us. But not long ago, she called the church. I picked up the phone and was able to talk with her. And she called and she said, I just wanted to say hi. I miss you all so much. And then she started asking in very particular note about two of the ladies that really loved her and walked with her through a difficult moment in their life. And she said, how are my two spiritual moms doing? Please send love onto them. And while her life is not perfect, she has so much more peace now than she had five years ago. You know what I get to see is here in our church, I get to see this played out time after time. Hospitality. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. I see it in the hospitality of small groups. I see it in in the friendship, at, at open hands. I see it in our youth ministry and our children's ministry, as I was just here at Acorns this past Wednesday night. I, I see it played out in so many ways. Welcome one another. It's radical hospitality. And what I find is this. When we practice hospitality, we get so much more than we gave in the first place. I was talking with another family just recently that entered into some of that serving and that radical hospitality. And they told me as they were able to give to others, they felt so much more blessed than what they gave they received so much more. Let me say that being hospitable doesn't mean that we're available to everybody's needs 24 hours, seven twenty four seven. We recognize the need for our own personal privacy and we also know that we have our own limits. Just as Jesus lived within the framework of work and rest, we have to live in these limits too. We breathe In God's love, and then we breathe out and we share his love. Gordon Smith speaks of listening as being a part of radical hospitality. I wouldn't have thought of that. Listening is a part of it. He quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer and says, Just as our love for God begins by listening to God's word, so our love for other Christians is learning to listen to them. Listening can be of greater service than speaking. We take people seriously when we listen to them. It is a mark of hospitality and welcoming them into our world. Romans 12:10 says, "Honor one another above yourselves." Listening is a means of giving honor. And you know what James also writes as he thinks about listening. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Please don't take it for granted that people know instantly how to listen. I really do believe that this is a a learned skill as well that we can pay attention and, and respond to someone instead of the temptation of listening to someone and constantly be thinking about the next interesting thing that I am going to say so that I can fill the conversation with something interesting and not truly paying attention to what that other person is saying. Dr. Paul Tournier, a Swiss psychologist, he said this, it is impossible to overemphasize the immense need we have to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, to be understood. He continues, No one can develop freely in this world and find a full life without feeling understood by at least one person. Radical hospitality is that. You are welcome here, and we want to receive you. The sign of love, a mark of love. The next idea that I want to go to, though, is this. It's the idea of patience and forgiveness. We really can't learn to love until we honestly come to an awareness of the imperfections and shortcomings Of other people I'll get to you in a moment about your own shortcomings but let's think of other people first of all Gordon Smith writes every relationship and every community will be marked by failure disappointment and betrayal we will be wronged by our parents and I think that's why one of the very first things that we need to learn is just to forgive our parents for not being perfect for not being the perfect people that we have expected them to be. We will be wronged by those in authority as we move through our youth and early years. We will be wronged by our colleagues, by our spouses, and indeed our friends. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we're able to forget everything bad that's been done to us. But to forgive a person is to walk through the process of admitting that a wrong has been done and then we no longer hold it against them. In Romans chapter 12, Paul doesn't directly use the word forgiveness, but he does say this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Is that not a beautiful mark of forgiveness? To look at people That you've had a hard time with, and to say, I wish for every good in your life. I pray that God will pour all of His blessings out upon you. Now, in addition to all the wrongs done to us, we recognize this also. We will not be all that we should be to our parents, our children our colleagues, or our neighbors. You know what? You can just say this to your neighbor. You've really messed up. (laughs) Um, There's an old story. It's an old story told in Spain of a father and his young adult son who had a relationship that had become strained. So the son ran away from home. And his father, however, began a journey in search of his son. Finally, in Madrid, a last effort to find him, the father put an ad in the newspaper. As I said, old story, no internet here. And the ad read in the newspaper article Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness and love from their fathers. You know, just recently at one of our Alpha evenings, we're actually having a great experience with Alpha, and, and uh, we meet on Monday nights, and we were talking about the theme of forgiveness. And we were reflecting on how unforgiveness unforgiveness, sometimes feels like a good idea to make the other person pay for the wrong things that they have done. I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to forgive. But in the end, we were moved by Nicky Gumbel's teaching where he said this, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So in Romans 12, Paul writes in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. And then in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. You know, as a young adult, um, I worked as a social worker. I worked in a group home for young offenders. And one of the mantras that was in our home, it, it lasted, you know, during the time I was there, the kids would just say this. I don't get mad. I just get even. And Paul, he offers another way where he reminds us that to forgive is to let go of the need for vengeance and to trust that God will work all things out with us and with others. You know, God is very aware, and so are followers of Jesus, that evil is real we realize that there is sin in this world, that there is brokenness, that there is crime, that there are wrongs that have been done in so many places. And it often, in our personal lives, it hurts when a wrong is done. We need to be aware of it and to admit it. But revenge is ruled out. In God's upside-down kingdom we overcome evil with good. So what is forgiveness? I love this. Forgiveness is love practiced among people who love poorly. That's us. That's us. So we get to live it out and to live out forgiveness. Patience and forgiveness and then The third thought is this, generous service. The idea of generous service is spelled out so clearly in scripture. Paul writes in Galatians 5, serve one another in love. Or in the gospel of John, where Jesus himself, through washing the disciples' feet, revealed what he prized the most, servanthood. When Jesus got on his knees to wash the disciples' feet, they were shocked, and Peter said, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. By the way, there is no record in antiquity of a rabbi kneeling down to wash the feet of his students until we get to this story of Jesus. Plato then asked the question, how can anyone be happy at all when he is the slave of anybody else? And Jesus turns this idea totally upside down, and he asks, how can anyone be happy unless he is the slave of everyone else? Matthew twenty twenty six. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And then we get to Romans chapter 12. We come to this idea, never be lacking in the zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's like this, really, when we serve others, ultimately, it's Christ that we are serving. If we understand that we are servants of God, then serving others becomes a natural way of life. We don't seek out applause for our acts of service. Verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. This really isn't a heroic life. It doesn't look impressive. Rather, it's an ordinary life. And that's what we're called to live out, an ordinary life where we get to serve, help, and look out for others. And if this is true, when we serve our children, then, we don't have a sense of obligation uh, to say, you really owe me something because I've looked after you and I've served you. Or when we serve in the church, we don't think that we have a sense of entitlement to say, oh, this church really owes me now because I've served here in this place. Gordon Smith challenges me when he writes, our service on behalf of the church is given freely without the assumption that the world now owes us something. To love is to serve and to seek the well-being of the other person. So that's why I think we can begin each day with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, Please bring me someone whom I can serve today. I'm ready and waiting, and I'm here at your service. Where does our love for other people come from? Well, Paul reminds us, chapter after chapter in Romans 1, and then in 5, and then in 8, and then all the way until we get to chapter 12, that it's rooted in God's love for us. Soren Kierkegaard, he says, our love does not in originate in our own hearts. It is revealed to us by God, and it like a lake that goes dry without a spring that continually feeds it, our love for others will go dry if our hearts are not fed by the stream of God's love. Every Sunday when we gather to worship, we remember We're not the center. Christ is all in all. We've not yet arrived to love like Jesus loves. But my prayer is that you and I might remain in him and learn to love and enter into this social holiness. John Wesley said, there is no holiness without social holiness. This act of learning to love one another And the way to happiness is the way of love, and it's giving ourselves away to others. Do you believe that today? And will you enter and continue on this journey with me? I know you know these things. Let's pray together. So, Lord, in these moments, we pray that you would guide us as we make clumsy efforts towards love. We pray that our love might be sincere and filled with radical hospitality, patience and forgiveness, and acts of generous service. We want to dwell again in your love for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.